why do we sleep? And could it really be the secret to success? I'm Anna Britnell Guest, and for this final and bonus episode for this season, I'm joined by Habits Coach Azzy Aslam. Azzy is a strong advocate of getting enough quality sleep and recently recommended Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, to me. I found it fascinating and insightful. So I asked Azzy to join me to discuss and share not just some of the compelling research into how sleep impacts performance through the day, but tips and ideas for sales leaders to use sleep to improve their own performance and that of their team. Let's jump straight in. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you think might also benefit. So Azzy, I think there are three myths that when I was reading Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep that really stood out for me as common misconceptions, if you like. The first one of those is there are so many articles out there about what successful people do before the rest of us have got our lazy butts out of bed. And, you know, they always make me feel a bit inadequate because I'm not a, a naturally super early riser. But actually reading this book really demonstrates to me that if you're naturally not a lark, you're probably actually doing yourself more harm than good by trying to get up early and depriving yourself of those extra hour or two of sleep. So I think that's myth number one that I'd want to bust. The second one is this idea that we need less sleep as we get older. And again, that turns out to be a myth that we probably do get less sleep and particularly as people age but that's not because they need less sleep it's because their brains become less capable and less able of getting the right sort of sleep and the right amount of sleep and the third myth is that's okay if I pull a few all-nighters or I deprive myself of sleep during the week because I can catch up at the weekend and the reality is that we don't really catch up on missed sleep that the damage is done the the lost sleep is gone we can only start from where we are at that point so when we think about all of these things what's the right quality and quantity of sleep how do we know we're getting enough sleep how do we know we're getting enough sleep that's a very very good question everybody's different so this is this is the problem you know there's this myth about you need seven hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep and and that's just a myth depends on people. We need anything between six hours to nine hours of sleep. And there are people out there that need 10 hours or more. And you can actually work out a little bit how much sleep you need, particularly when you're on holiday, when you're not using the alarm clock. So if you you do get a chance to be away or away from work and spend a few days on your own, the first couple of days, you'll probably just sleep. But if you can just, just go to sleep without you're being prompted and when you're feeling tired, go to sleep and then just wake up without an alarm clock the next day. As you just wake up, you'll find you'll either wake around about the six hours, the seven and a half hours, the nine hours. And this also fits into uh, Matthew Walker talks about sleep cycles, which are all 90 minutes long. And we need a minimum of four sleep cycles, which is six hours, because the body and the mind, particularly the brain needs those six hours to go through its, its routines of sorting out all the information, sorting out, working out some of the problems that we've sort of been dealing with during the day, but also physically cleaning out the brain. There is a, there is a time at night where the brain actually has uh, a bit of brainwashing, literally. It physically washes out all these sticky plaques called amyloid betas, which are studies that are coming through, which have been shown to be linked to degenerative disorders as we get older. 
So it's a bit like plaques uh, in your bloodstream, you know, in the uh, arteries and veins. And there, there are plaques in, in the brain as well, which actually needs to be cleared out. So you've got to figure out how much sleep you need. And you'll know because if you get up at six o'clock and you're still tired and you've been doing it for three, four days, you need more, more sleep. And usually I would go with the sleep cycle. So it's six hours, seven and a half hours or nine hours. Start with those and see how much sleep you actually need. And the other problem is quality of sleep is do we have an environment where we sleep well? And the environment is obviously the bedroom, hopefully. And is it dark enough? Because any light that comes in, particularly in summer, when the, you know, the sun comes up earlier, you know, having summer curtains, which are lighter and breezier and what have you, are actually the worst thing for you. Because at four o'clock in the morning, light's going to come streaming in. And you know what? It wakes you up. So you're better off having those heavier, thick curtains that stop the light. You need a dark room. The room also needs to be uh, around about two degrees lower in temperature than the rest of the house because you'll fall asleep far better in a cooler room than in a hot room. And we know this because, you know, when it's summer, we, you know, when it's hot, we can't sleep. One of the things to actually do to try and cool down is, is stick your legs and your arms out and your feet. Because that's a natural way of the body pushing blood to the extremities. And that's how it actually cools you down. But again, I mean, I think quality of sleep can also be affected by what you eat. So if you're eating late, your digestive system is working and, it, and that keeps the brain working a little bit longer as well. So it doesn't quite fall asleep. The kind of food you eat, if you're going to have caffeine in the evenings, in fact, you should stop having tea and coffee probably at mid-afternoon. Because uh, the half-life of coffee is about six hours. So even if you drink coffee at 12 o'clock, by six o'clock, you still got half the caffeine in your bloodstream. And then another six hours, you still got a quarter of it. Trying to minimize those caffeine drinks is important. Some people go and do exercise in the evening. The problem with exercise, and particularly if it's a vigorous exercise, so if you're going for a run or, a, you know, or you're down the gym for a couple of hours, that raises the body temperature. And when you raise the body temperature, guess what? You can't sleep. So you're better off actually exercising a little earlier in the evening or late afternoon. Actually, the best time to go for exercise is about three, four o'clock in the afternoon because that revitalizes your, your energy, kicks in some endorphins. And so you feel awake and, and alive a little bit more and it keeps you going for about three or four hours. But then it also gives you time to allow your body to relax, to get ready for, for sleep as well. There's a lot that we can take from that as you were as you were describing I've certainly found that for me about seven and a half hour sleep is is optimal if I'm up consistently with less sleep than that I definitely start to feel it over a period of time but interestingly we don't we don't know when we're sleep deprived so we might feel tired but we don't really recognize the impact that it's having on our ability to learn, our ability to remember, our ability to problem solve. And, and we will come on and talk about specifically how le- what leaders can do with their teams to support people to better sleep. But before we come on to some of the practicalities of what's getting in the way of this today and how do we overcome it, perhaps we can just talk a bit about actually what is the impact. It's easy to think, okay, I didn't really get enough sleep the last few nights. I'm a bit tired but that's all right. I can power through it. And it's not really going to have any impact on my work and what I'm doing. But actually, multiple research studies over multiple years have shown some pretty alarming stats, really, in terms of actually what's happening and 
how much a lack of sleep really does negatively impact our abilities, doesn't it? It, it does. And, and six hours seems to be the line that's drawn. Anything less than six hours is not helpful to you, not just helpful to you in, in what you do in the next day, but also physically and mentally, because the brain hasn't gone through the whole process of cleaning and revitalizing and sorting out all the things you, you need to sort out the information in that time. It needs that time to do it. And when we wake up, you might feel alert. You might have that cup of coffee and it sort of springs you into action, gives you that little bit of energy and you think you're, you're doing great. But as Matthew Walker in his book says many times, the research has shown that even one night where you've got less than six hours, and I think they tried it with people with four hours and five hours of sleep, their responsiveness to, uh, or their reactions, uh, your day-to-day reactions like driving a car was just as bad as somebody who'd had, I think two or three pints of, of alcohol, who had actually drunk alcohol the night before. So that's how bad it can be. And, you know, that split second can make a difference. Now, you might think, well, that doesn't, you know, I don't drive, so that doesn't matter. But actually, the impact of not having enough sleep isn't just about, you know, the sleep having an impact on your mental capability. It's all the other things that it also does. When you don't sleep well or you sleep less, your food intake, your craving for high calorie food, sugary food goes up which has an impact and it can create a bit of fogginess in in the mind as well. It then continues by constantly craving for other high calorie foods and also coffee as well. So there's this constant craving that goes on all through the day, which then impacts once again, the sleep you're going to have the next night. You know, it doesn't stop. It just continues. But during the day, your energy levels will drop a lot faster as well. And as your energy levels drop, guess what happens? you don't make decisions as, as well as you thought. If you're a leader, you're, you're trying to make decisions and actually you're, you're not helping yourself if you're not sleeping well. That links into a bit of the research that I pulled out from Matthew Walker's book, actually, which is understanding a little bit about those sleep cycles. One of the things that I learned that I didn't really know was that those sleep cycles are different through the night. So we have more non-REM sleep and earlier sleep cycles through the night and more REM sleep later. And so if we're consistently getting up early and missing those later sleep cycles, we're missing out on important parts of the sleep process. One of the interesting things that came out of some of the research was that REM sleep, amongst other things, is really powerful for helping our creativity, for linking disparate and different bits of information. So that, that idea of sleeping on a problem our ancestors who might have said that didn't necessarily understand the, the neuroscience behind it, but they were absolutely right because actually as we sleep on things, our brain is processing and filtering and, and figuring things out and problem solving. And several research studies have shown an increased ability to more laterally and more creatively solve problems with full amounts of sleep versus deprived amount of sleep. Getting the right amount of sleep and the right quality of sleep helps us to better understand and read people's emotions. And a lack of that sleep actually makes us less observant. We have less acuity around reading different facial expressions and people's emotions, which given that a lot of that is on Zoom, we must be exacerbating that problem, I suspect. But what it does is actually pushes us to a more negative bias. So we read expressions and emotions more negatively. We're more suspicious 
of people than we might naturally be when we've had the right amount of sleep, which shows that people are on the whole pretty good at being able to assess where somebody might be on an emotional scale. So I think, you know, when we're thinking about sales, a lot of this is about, it is about empathy. It's about understanding people. It's about reading situations, reading context. And so if we're not getting enough of the right amount of sleep for whatever reason, we're actually potentially putting ourselves in a position where we're not as quite on the ball, not quite as sensitive or able to pick up on those micro expressions that I know you've talked about before, Azzy, that we're getting from other people, particularly when we're looking at them on a screen. One of the other episodes in this season is all about happiness and, and understanding the difference between happiness and engagement. And Matt Phelan of the Happiness Index talks about well-being being the foundation for all of that. And he references sleep as being a key part of that, the well-being building blocks, essentially, without enough sleep then you're, you're significantly impacting that. Uh, some other bits of research that I was interested to read in, in Why We Sleep, which is you know, when we're learning things, it's almost like thinking about having the short-term memory and the hard disk drive in your, you know, in your computer, that during the day we're picking up lots of stuff into our, our RAM memory, if you like, which is, is all short-term. But actually it's overnight while we're sleeping particularly in those earlier sleep cycles, that we're transferring a lot of that from that short-term memory. And you can talk a bit more about this, but I think in the hippocampus into our long-term cortex and and the long-term memory. And that's really important because it kind of frees up the inbox for the next day. So I was really interested in some some actually quite frightening research, really, that was talking about when people pull an all-nighter or are significantly sleep-deprived. And this research looked at not what did they do the next day, but after two nights of being able to catch up on sleep. And this, and this comes back to this myth that we don't really catch it up. But even after then having two nights of normal sleep after a significantly deprived night, which to me maybe is flying back from New York or somewhere on an overnight flight and missing a night's sleep. Two days later, there was a 40% deficit in the ability to learn and take on new facts. You know, it's like when our email inbox is full and every new email that comes in gets bounced because the box is full. And that's what we're doing to our brains when we don't get enough sleep. It was staggering to think that even two days later, we're still seeing that impact. If we want people to be creative, we talk about learning cultures. We talk about, you know, don't make the same mistake twice. We talk about sharing and collaborating and learning experiences and and building on that. If we're not allowing ourselves to process that information properly, in which sleep plays, and it's not the only part of it, but it plays an important part of it, then we're not going to remember what we did last time. We're not going to be able to make those subtle connections and come up perhaps with new ideas and new solutions based on what we've done before, because we're just not giving our brain the chance to recover or to process in the right way, are we? Yeah, I think I think it's the uh, it's the processing part. The brain needs time, and, and I think using your analogy about uh, you know the, the RAM being full, and if we don't give it time to then push that into the long term memory, it, it will get lost. And it's not just simply a case of, uh, you know, two days later that we, you know, we still can't process it. It's actually gone. It's lost. And if you speak to any student, and I've done this, you pulled an all-nighter for that exam the next morning, and you can't remember half the stuff because you've not allowed yourself to process it. And here's a, a solution, which is something that our colleagues on the continent do quite well. 
which is have a siesta. Because what a, an afternoon nap does, and, and I mean a nap, I don't mean a, a 20 minute power nap as people talk about, oh, I'm just gonna have a power nap. Actually, power naps are not as effective as people think. What's even more effective is to actually have a 90 minute sleep, is to use the sleep cycle process, because in that 90 minute, your brain will go through the process of just sifting those things out, putting those stuff away where it needs to be put away. And then you wake up and you will feel not only mentally, but physically fresher and then be able to do uh, a little bit more work. And, uh, you know, having put that stuff away in the long-term memory where it needs to be. And it is, it's just a mechanism to allow it to clear that, that short-term memory out so you can take more information in afterwards. So having a, a nap in, having a siesta in the day is actually not just natural for humans, but it might actually be brilliant for creatives and people working in tough environments. That's the, it, you know, this, this whole myth about, and it is a myth that, you know, working from nine o'clock till five o'clock or eight o'clock till six o'clock, you know, is the way to go. It isn't. The brain can't function that way. In the mornings, you know, people say in the mornings, you have about three to four hours of time to get the most difficult things done. Why? Because you're physically well, if you've had a good night's sleep, you're well, and you're mentally ready to go. After that, it's all downhill, unless you go for a little bit of a jog in the afternoon about three o'clock for half an hour and you come back and you feel a little bit more fresh. That'll give you a second win for two or three hours but not at the level that you are once you've had a good night's sleep. So the mornings is always the best time to do the most important and tough work. And, and I'm no, I know we're going to come on to tips and, uh, for managers and leaders, and I'm going to throw this in here. So the morning is not the time to hold your sales meeting to find out you know, what the numbers are. Well, that's that's a perfect uh, route into this conversation because I think it is a good tip for us to start with is thinking about how do we structure our day and encourage our teams to structure our day and to think about where are people most productive mentally and what are the tasks that are best suited to that. So let's follow on with that, Azzy. You talked about don't don't hold your sales meeting at the most productive time of the day if, if all you're going to do is go around people and ask them to report on their numbers. Now, I could make a comment here about perhaps that's not the best way to hold a sales meeting anyway, but it's still quite a traditional way. So what are some of the tips that we might suggest leaders think about here, either for themselves or collectively for their team? We, we, you talked about leaders earlier on, and I actually just made a note, and I want to come back to this. And you, and you asked the question, and, I will come, and it will sort of lead into what you've just asked as well. And you asked the question, what can leaders do to help their teams? Well, the first thing leaders can do is actually look after themselves. Because if you're not looking after yourself, not looking after your well-being, your sleep, then actually you're not going to be the best leader for your team. So the first thing is start with you. You know, lead you, lead you into a better sleep routine, into a better process so that you can then actually be more present when you're talking to your people and be more present and helpful when you recognize that's what they need rather than being you know, short of sleep, short on temper, just working on this, you know, got to be done now, 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 now. It, it's not helpful to anybody, certainly not to your team and definitely not to yourself. So leaders, you know, should look at that first, start with yourself. In terms of productivity, if you look at how humans work, and I've just mentioned this, you know, when you get up in the morning, that's the most productive time. Sadly, the problem is if you've got a two hour commute into the office, you're just going to eat into that four hours of productivity. 
So, you know, look at how you can allow your team to use the most productive time to do the most difficult things, which is usually the mornings. And so when you've got the other operational stuff, process stuff, move them out to later in the day because people may be able to prepare for those, but they don't want to go through the process of, you know, going through the numbers or the updates on this, that, and the other uh, in the morning. Do that in the afternoon. You know, maybe even don't hold your uh, sales call at the at the beginning on a Monday. Do it on a Tuesday. You know, Tuesday afternoon. Where when I work, we there was this habit of having an end of week call as well. And if you're going to do that, then fine, do it. You know, just end of week, but make it. That's the point when people should start winding down. So you say, right, the weekend's here. You've done. You know, everybody's done well, and we we're going to have a call. Sort of, I don't know, early afternoon, two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, mid afternoon, maybe. And just make that the point that people start to wind down because you've got to allow people to wind down so they can actually get rested again in the evening at the weekend and come back fresh and strong on Monday morning. So that's another alternative you can do. I think that starting with yourself is so critical. And it was a theme that came out a lot in the first episode in the season with Pia Lee and Greg Wade talking about leadership and the situation has changed, have you? And a key message there was to start with themselves. I think this idea as well about how you structure your days and your weeks and where you put meetings, the, the Monday to Friday work, working week construct is just that, it's a construct. And we naturally think let's kick things off on Monday morning and let's wind things down on a Friday afternoon. But let's just add another little complexity into the mix of global companies where you know, somebody's Monday morning is somebody else's Sunday night or Monday night, depending on where they are in the world. And similarly, you know, we don't all have our Friday afternoons at the same moment in time. So I think you know, there is a challenge as well for global companies where people are burning the candle at both ends, as it were. You know, people are having to get up early to work with some time zones. They're having to sometimes work late to work with others. And some of that is unavoidable in a global business. But I think as leaders, we can be thinking about how do we ring fence some of that time so it doesn't just become a never-ending and ever-expanding working week. What, is, what are some of the things that you'd suggest, Azzy? Well, well, this is quite pertinent to, to me because I've actually worked in those roles. And um, and you know, from, from my background, I've worked as, as a VP for sales for uh, US companies based out, out of Europe and also Asia PAC. So I ran um, Hong Kong and Australia for a company. So one of the things I learned from that, stop doing stuff on Monday mornings because it just doesn't work for everyone. Start looking at things like Tuesday and even on a Thursday, use Thursday as a, as a mechanism to, to bring people together. But I think when you're looking at a totally global company, so you're working literally, you know, from one end of the world to the other, you may just have to accept the fact, actually, you're not going to bring people together virtually online. You just have to split the two out and deal with the people you need to speak to in the morning and deal with the people you have to speak to in the evening because make it productive for them because you as a manager are stuck in the middle and you have to look after yourself as well. But don't push yourself to the point where you're trying to, you know, do a very early morning call because it's late for the people over there. And then you're trying to do a very late call on the same day because it's early for the other. Just split them on different days. Yes, it's a bit more work, but you know what? You'll be a lot better in yourself and you'll probably give them far better attention and they will feel a little bit better as well. And just work out what works best for you. Yes, you might have to repeat stuff, but at the end of the day, if you want your people to be productive, think about them, not just about you. Although having said that, but to think about you as well, 
by splitting it out rather than trying to do two things on the same day. I think that's a really good point in terms of, you know, don't make Monday to Friday all about early starts for one time zone, late finishes every day for the other time zone, but actually thinking about how do you structure your working week so that maybe certain days of the week you're working earlier and getting to bed earlier to to get the right amount of sleep and other days maybe working later, starting later in the day as well so that you can manage both sleep cycles and work requirements in in a more structured way. And I think if you can do that in an organized way that people understand, then people can buy into that and and expecting and asking the same of other team members who need to work globally as well, because actually just starting early and finishing late and therefore cutting out sleep in the middle long term is not going to be good for for anybody and, and not good for the company either. Go back to the earlier point. Work out how much sleep how much sleep you need. If you need six hours, seven and a half hours, nine hours, and then you can plan when to go to sleep. Okay, because it really will help you to work out. You know, if you have to get up a little bit earlier uh, one day, then work out what time you actually need to go to sleep and go to sleep that just that little bit earlier, so you can get up that hour earlier the next day if that's what you need to do. Just thinking about team members, you know, those team members that have infants that we know will deprive people's sleep during the night because they're trying to accommodate infant sleep cycles, which are different, or trying to get teenagers out of bed to get to school. And again, teenagers have different sleep cycles. And this podcast isn't really the the place to talk about that specifically. But I think part of what can we do as leaders is helping our teams to understand their own sleep cycles, but also understand perhaps some of the home life influences that are helping or hindering their ability to get the right amount of sleep and actually supporting people to do that so you know I love your I love your idea of a siesta in the afternoon maybe when everybody else is out of the house and and catching up on the sleep cycle there to help with that productivity and that processing but also just you know what's the right time of day to be having meetings with people that are going to accommodate some of those other commitments and, and the impact it might be having on them as well. You know, understanding who are the larks and who are the owls because they might be commonly used terms, but they are a thing. You know, we're we're all somewhere in that bell curve in terms of our preferences of when we like to sleep, not just how much sleep we need. And I think understanding that and seeing that as a way of building and playing to people's strengths rather than a a weakness. You know, you and I, as you've talked about that macho kind of climate of right, first in, last out of the office, the first person in on the calls at seven o'clock in the morning or earlier, um, filling up people's inboxes before everybody else has got out of bed, those sorts of things. If it suits you to work early, that's great. But accepting that other people might prefer to work later in the day. And actually, you know, how do we structure and accommodate that in a way that is advantageous it's not it's not a compromise it actually improves people's working life it improves their happiness to Matt Phelan's uh, comments in our previous episode but it also helps to actually drive that productivity and that productivity is going to drive the right inputs to increase sales ultimately if you don't understand how people work and how you the individuals in your team work and what makes them more productive and at what time of the day then you're actually not working 
to the best uh, that you can or your or the team can. Just as you were talking, another thing that sort of came to mind was uh, a conversation I was having with, with somebody else, uh, a guy called John Holmes, who works with leaders and he's worked with people in NATO and central banks across Europe and stuff like that. And he and he mentioned this this thing. He said, you know, we talk about trust in leadership. He said, it's not about trust. It's about whether leaders make you feel safe. And that I thought was a real distinction because, yeah, it's not just about trusting your leader because, yeah, you can trust people, but actually people look for whether the leaders make them feel safe. And if you can create a safe environment for your people, you're actually going to get more productivity, more energy and more commitment from your teams than just about trusting you to make decisions. Because it's not about trust. It really is about making people feel safe. And when you look at any environment we go into, what's the first thing we do? I mean, our body and our mind and humans are designed to look for for things that are going to hurt us. So we look for things that are going to make us feel safe. And leaders are the same. Do you, you know, make your people feel safe? I think that point about safety is really important. And it's something that I talk a lot about with, with clients, with leaders, around creating that psychological safety in the workplace with employees because that's really the route to people feeling and being able to be themselves, to be creative, to be innovative, to perform at their best, to trust their colleagues, to collaborate, to be able to talk about problems and find ways of solving them. And, of course, all of those things that we've been talking about are enhanced by making sure that we get enough sleep or negatively impacted by not getting enough sleep. It comes back to does this leader make me feel safe? Well, if I haven't had enough sleep, coming back to that research, am I going to read my leader's expressions and put a slightly negative spin on them if I haven't had enough sleep? I'm going to be more suspicious. I'm going to be less trusting. I'm going to feel less safe if I haven't had enough sleep. The two things can really work in in harmony or they can really work in conflict here, can't they? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and it's, it's just trying to find the right balance. And I'm going to throw this in because we we talk about having good sleep and being effective and productive. And all of these things are down to habits. And I, I can't, you know, not mention habits because getting to sleep at a at a reasonable time, so you have your six hours, seven hours, has to be habitual. It has to be a routine that you develop and encourage, not only in yourself, but in your, your team members. And if you build those habits of getting to bed at the time you say you, you're going to go and then having your seven and a half hours right the way through the night, that is a good habit to have. And it then helps promote other things that you do each day. So, you know, so start looking at it, not just as a one-off that you need to get to sleep and, but actually go to sleep at the same time. One of the best things you can do is go to sleep at the same time as often as you can. I'm not saying you have to do it every night, but there will be the nights where you have a late night, but that's fine. And if you're having a late night, one of the things to do is get up at the time that you normally do. Now, you might shorten your sleep a little bit, but as long as you're still getting your six hours, you know, that's fine. You should be able to function the next day. And what it will make you do is go to sleep at the same, you know, the right time the next evening as well. Sometimes you, you just have to make sure, you know, if you get seven and a half hours of sleep every night, but you only get six one night, you should be fine. But just then make sure you go back to sleep at your 10, 30, 11 o'clock that you normally get at go to sleep. Just go with that because you're much better off and you'll be far more productive, far more helpful and get more done the next day than saying, well, no, I'll just, you know, I'll get up early again and, um, and you won't. It's degenerative. 
over time, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It doesn't actually get any better. And you can't go back and sleep 12 hours and catch up on it. The, uh, the damage is done. It's a bit like if you don't service and maintain your car, the condition of your car is just going to get steadily worse and worse and worse, isn't it? To recap a little bit, and then there's one area I want to come on and talk about before we finish up on this particular episode, because it's so fascinating. There's so many things we could talk about. But I think in terms of some of the tips we've talked about, and jump in, Azzy, if I've missed something here. But I think you know, the first thing is about starting with yourself as a leader and making sure that you have good sleep habits that you become aware of how much sleep do you really need in order to be effective over time and that you build up your ability to try and create that for yourself, that you try and manage your own workload in a way, particularly if you're working with global teams, in a way that is not depriving you of sleep on a regular degenerative basis. The second thing is thinking about that for your teams and helping to educate them in terms of what that might look like, but also thinking about how you help individuals plan their own working days, but also how you structure and coordinate and when you plan things for your team in terms of team meetings and team activities so that you're doing the most productive things at the time when you are likely to be most productive. And I think the third area around that is is really just trying to create that culture, isn't it, in terms of making sure that people are aware, that people are respectful of those sleep cycles that we all need, that people are respectful of different different people's working patterns and what they need. There are, there are times when there are emergencies, there are times when we need to firefight and we need to get stuff done. Many of those come about because we haven't planned effectively in the first place. We've left things in the important box until they become urgent. And so, you know, it does take a bit of foresight and a bit of planning ahead. But I think, you know, we can reduce the times that we are making those demands by thinking about it. And certainly for me, I, I know Sleep's always been important to me because as a child and as a teenager, I really struggled to sleep well. And so I had to learn a lot of techniques and really concentrate on that. I have to say, I don't have that problem these days. (laughs) I seem to sleep pretty much, much better than I did, but it's something that's always been conscious to me. But I think, you know, that awareness is really helpful. And the research now of understanding why things are the way they are, I think educating ourselves to those is really, really important. I want to come on and talk about one other area, but before I do, have I missed anything in that recap, Azzy? No, I I think you've covered it well. I think all I want to do is probably just reinforce uh, this thing about the culture that uh, leaders create. And one of the ways to create a culture where you are getting people to look after their own well-being and you're also part of that is to use, you know, if you have team meetings, if you still have team meetings out there, is to, you know, use those spaces to educate and use those spaces to, you know, do some activity where you, you know, people can understand, you know, about sleep and food and nutrition and exercise. I focus in my coaching very much on the three foundations, which I believe are really important for humans, which is sleep, nutrition, and movement. You know, if any one of those is wrong, if it doesn't work, it affects the others. And sleep is probably the one that underpins all of those. And, uh, you know, you might, you might not exercise a lot, but, and you can probably still function reasonably okay. Your nutrition may not be perfect, but you can still function, you know, okay. But sleep, when sleep goes, it affects, you know, you, what you eat, how you exercise. You don't even want to exercise when you haven't slept properly. So it is fundamental. Use those times and spaces to get people to do things. Come back to them on a regular basis in your team meetings and even in your kickoff meetings. Talk about well-being, uh, not just about, you know, the 
$20 trillion you're going to make this year. But just talk about the well-being and go through some exercises to help people, you know, look after well-being. Well, right on cue. That's the other area I want to talk about because companies have been running virtual kickoffs over the last year or so and are thinking about how do we run more hybrid and more in-person sales kickoffs again, along with things like QBRs as well. But those times when you get the whole team together for an intense short amount of time. We love kickoffs. I love going to companies' kickoffs. You know, they're so full of energy, they're fast paced, they're positive, they're forward thinking. Everybody's up for a bit of fun. You know, the drinks are flowing in the evening. It's really sociable. We come back the next morning. Everybody's had a minimal amount of sleep, particularly those that went back to their room after the socializing to catch up on a bunch of emails. So we all turn up in the breakfast room at 7 a.m., pretty tired, feeling like we're raring to go, but we're probably really not that productive. So there's an opportunity to think a little bit about sales kickoffs and QBRs and not to be the killjoys that lose all the fun and the social elements and so on, but actually just think about how do we structure them so that we really learn, retain, connect, engage in the best possible way. So you talked about actually talking about well-being and some of those topics as, as part of the agenda, which I think is a great a great idea. What, what else would you suggest? I had a bit of feedback on a kickoff meeting years ago. We were sort of asking people feedback. So somebody put on there saying, uh, make it longer, hold it in the Seychelles and cut out all the business stuff. And you're thinking, okay, actually, you get the point. So how can you make uh, business meetings, QBRs, kickoffs and, and all this kind of stuff valuable and useful and helpful? I think some of that, uh, although we sort of said it laughingly, but some of that is actually relevant to what I've just said. Whenever I've been to kickoff uh, meetings, they want to manage from the moment I wake up or even before the moment I wake up all the way through to the moment I go to sleep. So, you know, my whole day is, is packed out for me and I can't do anything other, you know, other than just sit there or be there or whatever. So that's what you're actually facing. You know, you're trying to get your money's worth, I guess, you know, from the people there, you know, you're paying them, they're, they're here. So you're going to get your money's worth. And you're going to tell them all this wonderful stuff that you think is so important. Actually, most of the time, you know as well as I do, as soon as I get back, most of it's forgotten. So the, the, the key to it is, is make it fun. Make it open, but don't have early starts. Encourage people to get a good night's sleep. That's all you can do, but they will probably not. But don't have these seven o'clock starts because it's just not helpful to anybody. You know, I'm not saying you should have a you know two o'clock start, but you could have a slightly later start, 10 o'clock, something like that. Just give people time and space stuff out. When we make it so intense, you know, one meeting, you know, one presentation after another presentation, it just doesn't help. The capacity that people have to take in information degrades rapidly after the first couple of hours. So you're so if, you, if there's very important stuff you want to say, then say it up front, you know, in the morning. And then go on to some other lighter stuff in the day, in the afternoon, and go and do other things, even get, get people out to physically do stuff. Go play the usual round of golf or whatever it is. Not that I'm a golfing person, but you know, at least you can go do something and then give people time and space just to mix and get to know each other, little groups. And that's what, that, that's what kickoffs are about, I think, in terms of you know, bringing people together. But it just seems to be a, a place to sort of feed a whole bunch of information and targets and numbers. Do you know what? Most of this can be done in an email. I've long been an advocate of 
transforming the sales kickoff because most of it often does end up being lots of people sitting in a darkened room with PowerPoint slides and somebody talking. And whilst what they are sharing might be extremely engaging, interesting, motivating, not always, but you know, done well, it can be. But actually, I think there's a great opportunity. Now we've broken the cycle of in-person sales kickoffs because of the pandemic and people had to go virtual. Now we can come back and reshape them, I think, for the future. And I see a huge opportunity for a more hybrid sales kickoff where those informational presentations are recorded in advance. People are able to watch those on demand in the week or two running up to the kickoff at a time that suits them. So ideally at a time when they're most receptive to to learning. And that when you get people together, I'm completely on board with with what you're saying, Azzy, in terms of not maxing out the agenda, not trying to stretch it from the moment people wake up till the moment they go to bed, giving a bit more space for collaboration, for getting people into groups, for working on things, to figure out, okay, we know what we're going to do, but how are we going to do it? Get people talking and working together. You know, I think that's that's the real opportunity for sales kickoffs, not just in the social setting, but actually around some of those business challenges and opportunities and goals and, and so on. I think you know the other part of it is building in, as you say, some opportunity for movement and getting outside, getting some fresh air, helping people to work and collaborate in different in different ways as well. But I think you know, the idea of we've all got to be up very early and then work our way through is a challenge. And those curating sales kickoff agendas need to be strong enough to say no, because what happens is every function wants to get a little bit of time when you've got a big chunk of the company in one place to get their message across. And actually using other methods and means to do that, I think is much more helpful. So you can drip feed that information and then bring people together to consolidate and learn and collaborate around it and do it in a way that's more fun, that's more engaging, that's more more collaborative, perhaps more spontaneous feeling. And you know, coming back to well-being and movement and so on that you know isn't just sitting around sitting down all day, which again is not great for us. And we've probably all done far too much of in the last year sitting at our screens on constant meetings and, and sessions and so on. Here's a little tip for people organizing their, their, uh, their kickoff meetings. If you can be physically active for five minutes before you sit down to learn something, you're more likely to retain that information than if you just sit there all the time. So I remember kickoff meetings, and if I asked you, you know, what, 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 which kickoff meetings do you remember? And I remember kickoff meetings where actually we had a juggler in, and he brought all these balls, and we we were juggling, you know, learning to juggle, and then we sat down and 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 then had some product information, and and I remembered the product information far better after doing a bit of juggling or trying to do a bit of juggling, because what it does is it actually it activates different parts of the brain, and what you're trying to do by getting people physically active is to activate the brain. As we've talked a lot about all of these topics and uh, and I'm conscious this is probably going to be a really long episode, but hopefully <laughs> full of lots of good, good tips. What would you want to, by way of wrapping up, add or, or reinforce here? I just want to re- reinforce, and I do want to reinforce, make the environment for your people safe. Start with yourself. Look after your well-being and, you know, the people closest to you as well, which are not the people in work. 
then when you come to work, recreate the same feeling of safety and comfort and exploring new things. And don't be afraid to try certain things, you know, because that's, that's what leadership is about. You know, either you try new things and you learn from it. And I always say this to my coaching clients, you know, you know, take the step because when you try something and you do something, you'll get feedback and the feedback will tell you whether you're doing it well, whether you're doing it not so well, whether it's the right thing to do or they're not the right thing to do. And then you can adjust after that. So with your team, you know, try different things, get people in to come and talk, you know, your team meetings, talk about different things to share different perspectives, which will help people to focus, you know, look after themselves, be energized, uh, give them tools and techniques because you want them to go away and be able to be self-sufficient, get on and do things rather than, you know, coming to you all the time because you want to go off and do other more strategic things, perhaps. I think that builds really neatly into just thinking about what's sustainable as a sales organization. We've talked about it on multiple episodes in this podcast, but targets ever only ever go up. The demands and expectations on sales teams only ever goes up as a company scales up, which many of the audience of this podcast, many of the companies I work with are scaling up. So they're bringing in more people all the time. And that creates more complexity, more leadership challenges, as well as opportunities. You have to look at what is going to be sustainable for a business. So it as it grows and it scales. And there are times when you are you're investing in that growth. Lauren White and Alan Merritt talk about this quite a lot in the episode in which we talk about the CEO perspective, understanding individual productivity and the impact of sleep on productivity is a really important way to think about how do we get the best out of this team and myself to build and grow the business sustainably over time. Back to your point, Azzy, that isn't degenerative, that isn't decreasing in performance and where we're not just pushing and pushing and pushing, but actually getting slower and slower. To take the Stephen Covey sharpening the saw analogy, are we trying to chop down the tree or cut down the tree with an increasingly blunt tool? Or actually, are we making sure that we are constantly sharpening the tools and, and making sure that we everything that we have you know, available to us, we're using to the best and we're taking care of in the best possible possible way? Funnily enough, on my podcast, uh, what went out today was uh, the title's called Stop Obsessing About the End Goal. And uh, and I really talk about this because, you know, targets go up. You're right. They always go up every year. It's not the target that matters. It's the skills, the habits, the routines and the abilities and the training that you put in place. And if people can repeat those well enough and are good at those, the target becomes immaterial. It's not the target. It's what are you going to do today? What are the things you have to do today that you could do today and can do today is what's going to make the difference of that target being hit or not. And just bringing it back to the episode with Matt Phelan and Kathy Belford, we talk quite a bit about this and Matt has a lovely image of a sunflower. And are you giving the sunflower the right nutrients, sunlight, et cetera, for the sunflower to grow? Or are you just standing telling the sunflower it needs to get taller, which is probably a good place for us to wrap up on. But as he let's come back and revisit some of these topics in future episodes. And I'll also share out some of the links to your podcast episodes that relate more to this and to building the right kind of habits around the topics that we've been talking about. So as he thanks, as always, very much for, for sharing your knowledge and, and experiences with us. 
No, thank you very much for inviting me. Well, after that, I feel we should all go and take a 90-minute nap. After that, there's links to Azzy's podcast, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, in the show notes. And here's one further action if you'd like more details on this subject. Sign up for my newsletter to get links to Azzy's episodes talking about sleep and performance, along with other useful resources and links to Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep book. Head over to RevenueRiser.com for more details. That's it for this season. So thank you again to all of my guests for sharing their experience and wisdom. Please take a listen and we'll be back soon for season three. See you then.